can go ahead and grab a seat. It is a joy to be with you today on Easter service. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And oh my goodness, I look around this room, I, I realize that every single one of us is at some place along the spectrum of faith. If you want to think about sort of the spiritual life as a continuum, uh, with a room like this, you can imagine that each one of us is at a unique place along that continuum. And if we invited you up here and you were to share your story about why it is that you're where you are and the experiences you've had and the teachings that you've received along the way and, and sort of how you've processed those things, we would understand. We would get it. There'd be no judgment uh, about your reasons because we have reasons of our own and that's why we are where we we are. But I do want to say this, that maybe if you and I had the chance to sit down together, have a cup of coffee, and you were to say to me, you know what, uh, Mike, I, I would love for you to take this opportunity to give it your best shot at convincing me that this Jesus thing has merit. Just in this, over this coffee, I, I would love for you to just give it your best take as to why I should consider Jesus. And if we were to do that, let me tell you where I wouldn't start. I wouldn't start talking about the church. Because over the last 2,000 years, the church has taken some mighty missteps. We, we've seen the church just have some incredible, you had one job moments. And just miss it, right? And, and I'm talking about things like the Crusades or the Inquisition. I'm talking about the way the church responded to HIV in the early 80s or Christian heavy metal bands. Like all these things, you know, and just, and many more besides. Now, it's not that the church hasn't done some good things as well, right? We recognize that because of the church, things like hospitals were started, universities were started, things like valuing women as actual humans, and, and things like, you know, fighting to abolish slavery and, and caring for the needs of the poor and loving people like Jesus loves us. Like all these things are things that the church has been a part of as well, but it's been a weird sort of a mixed bag of 2,000 years of history, so I wouldn't start with a church. But where I would start, where I would start the conversation, I would start with an event. I would start with an event, and it's the event that has caused us to gather together today. It's the event that has caused literally billions of people all around the globe to gather together today. I want you to understand this, that, that this whole thing, it didn't start with the Bible. This whole thing, it didn't start with the church. This whole thing started with an event. And what that means is this. It means that people started believing Jesus rose from the dead the morning Jesus rose from the dead. Right? That's what I'm talking about, an event. And when the resurrection happened, people did exactly what we would have done if we were in their shoes, if we were looking at the empty tomb. Right? If we were the ones who saw somebody get killed and we knew exactly where they were buried, and then we're having breakfast with them three days later, right? They, they took to social media, right? And, and they began to live stream about it, and they were tweeting and Snapchatting, and they were telling their friends and writing about it. I mean, think about today's world. If somebody's Cinnabon looks like Mother Teresa, we tell everybody about it. <laughs> and this was way, way bigger than that, right? This was way, way bigger. You see, Matthew was an eyewitness to this event. 
And Peter was there, and he was a disciple. Uh, John stared into an empty tomb. But the most compelling person to me is the person of James. James was the brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home. Now, just at a show of hands, how many of you have a brother? Raise your hand. All right, now let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother is the son of God? <laughs> My kids are here, and they're like, Uncle Mark? Uh, no, right? Yeah, listen, James was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was alive. But James became a follower of Jesus because of this event. You see, we don't believe because the Bible says. We do believe the Bible, but it's way better than that. We don't believe Lucky Charms taste great because we've read the ingredients on the box. It's better than that. Right? We don't believe Black Panther's a great movie because we read a review. It's better than that. We don't believe golf is a sport. <laughs> I don't really have a point. We just don't believe it's a sport. No, we believe this event happened because people were there and they responded exactly the same way that we would respond and their lives were radically revolutionized by this event. And by the way, some of you already know this, it wasn't just a few and it wasn't just off in a corner. There were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to this event. And in fact, you already know this, but, but they knew, they saw in Jerusalem the crucifixion of Jesus. They knew where he was buried. And then later they see him up and walking around and leading meetings and cooking breakfast. And so when the first church started just a few weeks after this event, there were thousands there. Why? Because they were witnesses to this event. So that's what I would start talking about. And we're going to get into a passage of scripture that describes this event. But first, let me give you a little backstory. The backstory is that God had promised a Messiah would come. That for hundreds of years in the Jewish scriptures, the portion of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, but it's the Jewish scriptures, that there is this promise that a Messiah will come. God's anointed will come and he will bring healing and he will make what is wrong right and he will bring justice and he will bring mercy and he will bring God's blessing and God's favor. And, and this was firmly entrenched in the minds of the ancient Israelites. But you fast forward through the centuries to the first century and then Rome is the big dog. The, the city of Rome was called the Eternal City. The, the, the Rome had actually expanded and become an empire, much like the First Order in Star Wars, right? It, just, it was this, oh, it's that, that, that dark, evil empire, and they were occupying Israel as an outpost. And so the Israelites, they were hopeless, and they had begun to feel that God would never fulfill his promise and then Jesus stepped onto the pages of history, and the world has never been the same. You see, Jesus came, and he began to teach with authority, with stories, and with humor, and with power. And big crowds followed him. And this made the religious leaders nervous. 
And so they tried to trick him and they tried to derail him. And Jesus faced them down and he answered their gotcha questions. And he called them whitewashed tombs. He called them hounds of hell. And this made them more upset. And it made them more angry. And it made them more nervous until finally they decided we have to do something drastic. Because if we don't, the entire world is going to go and believe in Jesus. And you might know the story. They bribed a friend to betray Jesus. And then they convinced the temple to condemn Jesus. And then they pressured an empire to crucify Jesus. And then Jesus' body was taken down by two men who did not publicly associate with Jesus. They were secret followers of his. And they took his body down off the cross and they wrapped it for burial and they quickly put it in a tomb. And that sort of brings us to this moment. And if you and I were sitting across a coffee table and we were, we were having this conversation, I would want to make sure that you understood this moment. Because when Jesus died, when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus was put into a tomb, this is so important that you get this. When Jesus died, everybody unfollowed him. There was not a single follower of Jesus after the crucifixion. There was no movement to keep alive. There was no Christianity. And I want you to understand this. It's not because the people that he had impacted, it's not because his disciples didn't appreciate the message of love that he taught or the life of love that he lived. They did. It's not because they didn't love the stories that he told and would remember them forever. They would. No, the problem was that Jesus had revealed too much about himself. Jesus had, had revealed that he was, in fact, God's anointed, that he was, in fact, Messiah. He said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so they unfollowed him because they believed he was Messiah, and Messiah can't die. They unfollowed him. They, they, they left their, their followership behind because they believed he was God's anointed. And God's anointed can't be dead. And so nobody followed Jesus after his death. There was nobody standing outside the tomb counting down to 10 on Easter morning. Now let's get into the passage. This is John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. You might know Mary Magdalene's story. She had been healed by Jesus, and her life had been turned upside down by the love of Jesus. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She was so grateful for what Jesus had done in her life. And so early in the morning, before even the sun comes up, Jesus, or, or, uh, Mary Magdalene is up going to the tomb. And she's going to the tomb to rewrap Jesus' body. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe that the reason why she was going to rewrap Jesus' body is because a couple of men had, did it, had done it, and, and, and they had done it quickly. It's a little bit like this. You know what it's like when mom gets daughter ready for school in the morning, and then dad gets daughter ready for school in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to make sure it was done right. But what is very, very clear is that she expected a body. It says she found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. See, notice her assumption here. Somebody moved the stone and stole the body. Please make a note of this, that nobody expected no body. And so she runs back into town and she tells the disciples and Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they look inside the tomb and they find that it's an empty tomb and, and neither of them immediately conclude that Jesus is risen. Right? John will get there ultimately, but, but all they do is they look in and then they look at each other and then they go back into town and they hide where they had been hiding before. But meanwhile, Mary stands there weeping. I want you to imagine her emotion for a moment. This is a man who changed my life. This is a man who loved me and showed me God's love like no one else ever could. This was Jesus who he loved and included the people that nobody else would include. This is Jesus who would, who would touch and heal people that nobody would come within 10 feet of. This was Jesus who loved so consistently and so outlandishly. And how did they treat him? They crucified him horrifically. And not only that, she's thinking, but they wouldn't even leave him alone. They, they wouldn't even leave his body unmolested. That now, who knows what they're doing to desecrate Jesus. So you can just imagine her there weeping. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. They've taken him. I don't know where they've put him. Again, she's not expecting a resurrection. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? You see, she sees him, and, and maybe it's still dark, or maybe it's because her eyes are filled with tears, and, and so her vision is blurred. She doesn't recognize him. But I like to imagine that Jesus has a huge grin on his face in this moment because he knows that her sadness is about to be transformed forever. Because if Jesus is alive Everything about everything changes. Everything changes. Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? And then it says this, she thought he was the gardener. Now this is actually hilarious, but we don't get it because we always read the Bible so seriously. But this is amazing. And you have to think about Mary's life, that for the entire rest of her life, anytime she was around a gathering of Jesus' followers, they would say, Mary, tell us the story. Mary, you were there. You have the first-hand eyewitness account. Please tell us. Tell us the story as you experienced it. And so she would tell the story, and she would build the story to this climax. And then she would say, and I thought he was the gardener, and everyone would crack up, right? It's just a huge joke. She's like, I thought he was Samwise from Lord of the Rings. Turns out he's the Lord of the universe right there. Yeah, the gardener. Well, he did plant the Garden of Eden. It's a creation joke, guys. It's a tough crowd right here, I'll tell you. Listen, do you know why she thought he was the gardener? 
because she didn't expect a resurrection. She expected a dead body because she had seen Jesus die. And virtually all dead people stay dead. So even there at the empty tomb, even there in the presence of angels, her thoughts don't go to resurrection. She's looking for his body. And you can imagine she's talking to him, not really looking at him, maybe over her shoulder. And she says, sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. Mary. Mary, and she hears his voice, and she hears her name, and she puts it all together, and nothing is ever the same again. Every single thing is now changed. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. We know the word rabbi. And they greet one another. And then he tells her, go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Go and tell the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Friends, this is such a beautiful moment. There is so much meaning and power communicated in this moment. And we don't get it because we're 2,000 years removed from the first century. So we just kind of read through this and it just goes in and goes out. It doesn't like land. But I want to tell you something. This is a big deal and here's why. It pains me to say this, but 2,000 years ago in the first century, there was not a high view of women. There, women were not, they, they were not valued. And they were not honored. And they were not actually in the first century of Israel, they were not even viewed as credible. There were laws on the books which said that a woman could not enter a court of law and give testimony because they were absolutely not considered a credible source of truth. So that's going on in the first century. And here's why I bring it up. Because if you're making up this story, you don't have a woman be the first witness to the resurrection. Because who's going to believe it? Right? The whole culture devalues women. They, they don't view them as credible. Why would you make a woman the first person to witness the resurrection? The answer to the question, because that's what happened. Because that's exactly what happened. And that's why I want you to get that Jesus was doing something beautiful and powerful and redemptive in this moment. Because he decided in his infinite wisdom to appear first to Mary. And to give her this transformative, powerful message that the resurrection is real. And he not only honored her and valued her, saw her, included her into this story. But he did it for every woman and every generation since. Right, including us all in this powerful, redemptive story. I want you to be the one to go to the disciples, my brothers, and tell them, I have seen the Lord. Come on, somebody. Let's hear a little. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful reality. So the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive, and the resurrection is the start of this whole thing. And that's what we'd be talking about or over coffee. We'd be having this conversation, and that's my best shot. And, you know, take it or leave it. I get it. And you might say, well, okay, preacher boy, that's nice. 
But what are the implications? Like, what does it actually mean for life today? And here's what I tell you. There's actually a, a millions of ramifications for our life. But let me just land on three. Because of the resurrection, it means that Jesus is with us. It means that he is with us. You see, one of the titles that Jesus has given, and you might be familiar with this, we talk about it at Christmas, Emmanuel means God is with us. And so Jesus had this title, he had this mantle. And even as he comes and he teaches his disciples, and, and therefore by proxy you and I, he tells us things like this, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never abandon you. He says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is the teaching that Jesus brings. But then he dies. And so if he's dead, how can he be with us? How can he be present with us? Well, that's what the resurrection does. You see, the resurrection validates all of that teaching. The resurrection means that Jesus is risen. And the tomb is not just empty. He's not just absent from the tomb. He is present with us. And everything he said is actually true. And that means Jesus shows up just when we least expect him, just when we need him the most. I want you to think about Mary for a moment. Mary, in the midst of her despair and her grief, the last thing she expected was a resurrection. And that's exactly where Jesus met her. Because of the resurrection, we can never be separated from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the first implication of the resurrection. The second implication of the resurrection is that eternity is real. Eternity is real. That there is a life beyond this life. And many of us don't think about this because heaven is just sort of a concept, a vague concept that sort of exists in, in cultures, many cultures around the world. Heaven's just kind of out there. And, and, and so we, we forget about this reality that Jesus is the one who opened the window on this reality. That before Jesus arrived on the scene, it was not a, a well-articulated concept that the, the Jewish scriptures actually don't talk a whole lot about the afterlife. And when, when it does mention it's super vague, there's not a lot of clarity there. Jesus is the one who opened this up for us. Jesus is the one who talked about, you might remember, you're telling the disciples, again, by proxy, that's you and I. He, he's telling them, look, I'm going to go because my father's estate has many mansions. And I'm going to go there, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I do, I'm going to come back, and I am going to get you and take you to be with me so that you and I can be together always. Right? Jesus is the one who taught that. And again, but then he died. And so you're like, oh, but see, that teaching, is, it's, it's now a moot point. It doesn't matter anymore because he's dead, and he's in the tomb. But he's not. The resurrection changes that. And what the resurrection means is that eternity is real. And what he taught about the afterlife is real. And there's this invitation now that he wants to bring all of us with him. He wants to get ready for all of us to come and to be with him in eternity forever. So that's the reality. The, the reality is that he's present with us now. The reality is that eternity is real. And the third implication of the resurrection is that we can live in his peace. Amen. That he brings peace. He is the prince of peace. And he brings peace. And I'll read a passage of scripture. It's, it's just later on that same day. It's the same chapter we've been in, John 20. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Friends, Jesus is our champion who brings peace. And it's what we need the most in this chaotic and broken and fallen world. He brings us peace. You see, he has dealt with the sin problem that plagues each and every human heart. On the cross, he has taken our guilt and our shame. He's drawn it like poison from a wound, and he has brought us instead his healing. He has made us right with God. And that's why we can have peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace in the face of all of our trials. Peace in the face of death, even peace that goes beyond death. Friends, Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our champion who is risen today. Our champion who brings us his peace. He is our champion who is with us. And he is our champion who is inviting us to be with him for all of eternity. So let's give praise to our champion today.
you can grab a seat real quick. I, what I want to do is I want to make sure you don't miss this. That it's, it's because of this event. You see, it's because our champion Jesus is a risen Savior that resurrection is our future. I want you to, don't miss this, that all things reconciled, all things redeemed, all things resurrected. This is the culmination of history. This is where it is all going. And it's all because of the person of Jesus. It's because of the love that compelled him to live a life of holiness. A love that kept him on that rough wooden cross. A love that compels him to pursue us through the ages. It's all because of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. And what I want you to understand is that Easter is a statement about how reality works. It's not so much a miracle as it is a relationship. And what I mean by that is that we are carried across by unearned grace. The tomb is always finally empty. Death cannot win. Love has already won. And so all we get to do is ride on his coattails, right? We get to join in. That's, that's what it means, actually, to follow Jesus, is that we just say yes to him. We say yes to his invitation. Yes, we believe. Yes, we want uh, uh, to be a part of all of this. And I just, I, I want to make sure you don't miss it, that God's job description is transforming death into life. We see it all over the place. It's every new springtime. It's every new birth. It's, it's all of the life cycle of stars and of cells that, that death always gives way to life, and it always will because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And so resurrection is not only the story of Jesus. It's not only the story of Easter. It's how reality works. It's our story as well. And no one who trusts in this work of God, no one who trusts in our champion Jesus will ever be put to shame. So I want to invite you today to put your trust in Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray right now. And the disciple John, in another part of his book, he, he tells us what our main job is. He says our, our main job is that we believe and receive. Our main job is that we believe that Jesus loves us and then we receive his love. Our main job is that we believe this event is a reality, and then we receive it as a reality in our lives. We receive his salvation. We receive eternity with him. Our main job is to believe, to place our trust in our champion, and then we receive our champion as he is present with us always. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now as we pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your love for each one of us. Thank you for your love that compelled you to come and live a holy life. Your love that compelled you to stay on that cruel cross of Calvary. Your love that has compelled you to pursue each one of us through the ages to this moment right here. Jesus, thank you.
And right now, we want to say yes to you. We say, yes, Jesus, we believe. And yes, Jesus, we receive. Yes, we believe in you, that you are God's anointed, and we receive your love now. Yes, we believe you, that you are the resurrected Savior, and we receive your salvation now. Yes, we believe in you, and we want to walk with you now. We pray all of these things in the precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.